it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hope you had a great weekend, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade back in action with you on this Monday morning, one 408 7669 Yeah, we're back at it, and I know officially after Memorial Day we have our first full week this week. Uh, and some of you are getting uh, or out of college, about to get out of high school, understand it, and you're back to that part-time job or the internship. So, uh, meanwhile, I hope you factor us into your schedule. If not, don't forget to get the podcast, BrianKillMeShow.com. Wherever you get podcasts, uh, you continue to download at a dizzying rate. So, uh, before we go any further, just quick, so, a quick note today. Uh, friends of the World War II uh, Memorial, the commemorating the 78th anniversary of D-Day, we'll have a special event today in Washington, D.C. Make sure you check out about that. And congratulations to Nancy Reagan. She's getting her own stamp. So, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Russians, some incremental gains, and the Russians will likely take the city, but they've expended so much, it's hard to see them being able to make much progress, at least in the near term after that, because they've reached what most of us looking at it day by day see as a culminating point. But you know what? They pushed back. They're talking about that city that they gave up 50% of. Now they... Uh, 70% of, now they got it down to 50%. No quit. The Russian surge, Ukraine counters, and the war that should concern us all goes on as Kiev is breached again this weekend. Number two. But we also know that the price of gasoline is, is not set by a dial in the Oval Office. And when an oil company is deciding hour by hour how much to charge you for a gallon of gas, uh, they're not calling the administration to ask what they should do. Uh, that is Mayor Pete, uh, way over his skis. Political problems mount. Biden books to the beach. I'm not kidding. No joke. No malarkey. What the public is saying about Joe on the economy, inflation, baby formula, crisis, war, and more. And why the fracture at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is beginning to show. Number one. We are talking about a meaningful change in our gun laws, a major investment in mental health, perhaps some money for school security that would make a difference. On the table is red flag laws, changes to our background check system to improve the existing system, a handful of uh, other items that will make a difference. Wow. Closing in. It seems bipartisan Senate sessions are producing some type of gun deal. Will it help? And why are all sides telling the president to stay away? We'll examine. So let's talk about this. What's going on? So, so far we know uh, via Zoom, maybe person to person by now, starting this week, the Senate's got to go back into session. Uh, Senator Murphy and Senator Corn have been leading a bipartisan delegation talking about some gun reforms that could stop uh, in some way, shape, or form the carnage that we're seeing, if any. For the most part, even up to Sandy Hook, nothing got done. 
because they were asking for extreme bans on the left, and the right said, you're trying to hurt my Second Amendment. I'm not going to go anywhere with this. So they are looking. This is what we can tell you that they've told us. Expand background checks. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, Incentives for red flag laws, for states to implement red flag laws like they did in Florida and New York, and funding for mental health and uh, school security. It blows me away that Democrats consider it a acquiescence to give in to the Republicans' push for school security. It's incredible. It seems to me to be a no-brainer. CBS did a poll. Are you for background checks? 81% of you said yes. 72% said federal red flag laws. 72% are in favor. 62% say are in favor, according to this study in CBS, a ban on AR-15s. couple of things. For gun owners, they would never give up AR-15s because it's the beginning of an incremental creep. And also AR-15s, as explained, have a necessary role for those who have a passion for guns. Number two. Federal red flag laws. It's how it's done. In Suffolk County, New York, I understand, 160,000 times since 2019, red flag laws have been put into play. Let's find out how it's doing. In Florida, it seems to be effective. They also raised the age to 21. Let's find out if it's helping. And then if, instead of storing political points looking at November, here we are in June, maybe we can play pure politics. So Senator Chris Murphy was on CNN yesterday, and this is what he was saying. Cut one. We are talking about a meaningful change in our gun laws, a major investment in mental health, perhaps some money for school security that would make a difference. On the table is red flag laws, changes to our background check system to improve the existing system, a handful of uh, other items that will make a difference. Can we get there by the end of next week, as Senator Schumer has requested? I I don't know, but... Um, as late as last night, we were engaged in conversations about trying to put a package together because I think Republicans realize how scared parents and kids are across this country. And you know what? He's been he is very partisan guy and he's gone out of his way not to be partisan. And he's told the president really stay out of this. The president's speech did not help last week. Everyone understands passion. It was well delivered. But the content of which says ban assault weapons. Uh, you know, we uh, they're talking about high capacity magazines. All this stuff is even on the t- shouldn't even be on the table because he wants everything passed sweeping as if he had 100 votes in the Senate and he had a majority in the House. A lot of these uh, blue states are pro-gun. So keep that in mind, too. Senator Manchin, pretty pro-gun guy. There was an ad that he once had as him shooting with a rifle Obamacare. That's your Democrat. Try to convince him before you go all over Republicans and say they're acquiescing to the NRA, which has never been weaker. So the president's been told to stay out. Hopefully he will, because they want to make let Biden be Biden and stop scripting him so much. When you let Biden be Biden, he says crazy stuff that could easily blow up this uh, this whole negotiation. So Pat Toomey, who's the outgoing senator from Pennsylvania, uh, said this about President Biden. Disappointed. Cut six. The problem is, I think the president might have been a president who would reach across the aisle, try to bring people together. But he's chosen not to take that approach since day one. He has sided with the far left of his party and really not reached out to Republicans. He gave a speech on this topic where he advocated policies that he knows for sure have no chance of passing the Senate, probably couldn't even get 50 votes uh, and hold the Democrats, much less get the 60 we would need. So... Once again, the president is not being very helpful. I think at the end of the day, this is going to come down to whether we can reach a consensus in the United States Senate. True. So stay out of it. And the House is a joke. Nancy Pelosi, 
She's 111 years old, put up this wish list of things that she would like to change about the country, which is everything when it comes to gun laws, which is going to go nowhere. But everyone realizes there's an issue, and I think one of the issues has got to be explored is if you're a crazy kid at 16 and 17 and you turn 18, you shouldn't have a clean record to go buy a gun and start shooting people at a mall because they don't look – they have the same skin color as you. And because you turn 18, who can't even – doesn't even have a driver's license yet, you shouldn't be allowed to buy a gun legally, stock up an arsenal, and shoot your grandmother in the face and go to a school and then target six- and eight-year-olds. All right? We all agree that that's got to stop. How you get that juvenile record apparent to the gun store owner who does not want to sell one bullet to a lunatic because it hurts everybody that, that is responsible, who are responsible gun owners. So this is the problem with the debate and the speech I heard last week. Governor Christie nailed it again. Cut 11. And is this really a both sides issue, though? No, I do. George, I think it, the both sides create the atmosphere, right? So when the president is saying the stuff that he said in his, uh, his speech uh, the other evening this week and the emotion that he says it with, um, he is essentially trying to imply that people who disagree with him are immoral. And I think when you start raising it to that level, you better win. Because if you don't, the other side will never move towards you, ever. If you're going to say this is a purely moral issue, if you don't agree with me, yeah, then you're immoral. So I'm going to come back and talk about the economy with uh, one of the smartest guys when it comes to dollars and cents in Congress. Congressman Kevin uh, Brady, the ranking member on Ways and Means, and he used to be the uh, he used to be the chairman. Of course, they lost the majority. Will that change? But he's leaving. We know that for sure. It looks like Morgan Luttrell will get that job. And then Brad Meltzer, uh, the best-selling author, uh, esteemed historian, will talk about his greatest conspiracies of all time. And we are 78 years since the Battle of D-Day. What's at stake there? I don't have to remind Brad Meltzer about that. We'll discuss it. So we have a lot to go over today. And then I'm going to finish this hour with you, one 408 7669 because are you one of the enthusiastic Republicans who can't wait for this election? 57% say yes. Or are you one of the 44% Democrats who are not enthusiastic, who are enthusiastic about this election? Uh, Independents only about 30% are. It can't come soon enough for me. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? 
from finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience. Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's been very striking right now to see these oil companies uh, who have become almost ridiculously profitable. And you hear these oil executives on the record talking about how they're not going to increase production. Uh, why would they? They're doing great right now. It's why the president has called for a use it or lose it policy, where if you're sitting on these thousands of permits, like these oil executives have been, and you're not doing anything with them, then you're going to be held accountable for that. Now, so far, congressional Republicans have blocked action to do something like that, but we think that's another step that would make a difference among the many, many steps the president's already taken. The Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, thinks he knows anything about oil and gas. How dare he be part of an administration that condemned him from day one, promised to put them all out of business, now demand they start drilling, even though financially it makes absolutely no sense. And because he's allowing gas prices to get jacked up because he will not produce here at home, he's saying that they have to go drill on leases that are almost impossible to get permits for just shows how clueless he is about a business, but doesn't have the humility not to express it and say, hey, you know what? I've been a mayor of a small town. I'd like to find out why oil and gas is not producing more and send saying idiotic political statements like that. A man who knows a lot about oil and gas and certainly financial benefits uh, and the negativities behind not producing is Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas. Congressman, welcome back. How, how angry does that statement get you? Yeah. Uh, uh, good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me. And, and awfully angry. It just, you know, the secretary is just energy illiterate. And it's frustrating to hear these user loses, which have been debunked, uh, I don't know how many times throughout the year. And the truth of the matter is, the Permian Basin in West Texas is on, is on trend to be the biggest oil and gas producing field uh, all but in, in the world and bigger than every country but Saudi Arabia and Russia, and we could be doing even more, as you said, if we had actually an administration that didn't attack uh, American-made oil and gas every day, and you listed some of those things. They're real, and, and I always recall, look, these guys were bragging. A year ago, they were bragging about shutting down production in America, and in their congressional hearings, they were demanding 
oil and gas start uh, shutting in production. So I just don't think American people are, are buying this stuff. And I know gasoline, this is crazy, but it's above uh, $8 in one community in uh, California, above $7 in about seven more uh, communities. They are, Democrats are paying a steep, steep price uh, uh, for their Green New Deal stuff. So, uh, by the way, Secretary uh, Buttigieg says, I'm going to uh, fine you or make you lose the lease. He knows what has happened. He knows that they've been discouraging investment in any oil and gas properties uh, on Wall Street. You know Absolutely. that he, he it makes it impossible for the – unless oil and gas is going to stay at about – I think it's $60 a barrel. They're going to lose massive amount of numbers, have massive amount of layoffs – and they can't even get anybody to train and go into this business anymore because they've been in school being told that this is the devil's work. And yet they're going yeah, to blame for, them now? Yeah, and thanks for making that. One, you know, Secretary Kerry is squeezing banks to stop them from lending to oil and gas. Secondly, your workforce point is right on target. We are having trouble finding the workers we need to produce more. And in part of it is, is exactly what you said. They've demonized uh, this industry in such a major way. And the other thing Secretary Buttigieg doesn't ever mention was that oil and gas companies lost more than they profited over the last two years uh, during COVID and during the attack on their own energy. They were just bleeding profits. And, uh, and uh, for some reason, the, the secretary has a short memory. So inflation is at 8.4%. Uh, uh, wages have gone up just roughly about 5%. We know it's the number one concern among all Americans, and the president keeps saying over and over again that this is number one focus, but he also is the number two focus was going to the beach this weekend. Great image there. Uh, cut. I want you to hear what Pete Buttigieg said about inflation. Cut 19. This is a real challenge that we're all facing, that, that families are feeling that pain and that we're acting on it. But uh, uh, look, the, the bottom line is that there are two very clear and very different approaches here. Uh, there is our approach, which is to find solutions to invest in our supply chains. And then there's the other path that uh, uh, congressional conservatives have put forward, which doesn't really speak much to inflation. Uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, raising taxes on lower and middle class families, uh, making a lot of political hay out of the child, the very real challenges that families are feeling, and going to war with Mickey Mouse. Uh, so there's a very clear difference right. in strategies here uh, it, against some very challenging economic problems. Is that the Republican strategy to fight inflation? No. Uh, he's making that up. And I think the Washington Post uh, gave that claim about tax increases. Uh, I think three Pinocchios, uh, misleading, uh, very misleading as a claim. He and the president are trying to run, you know, these types of out nonsensical claims, hoping someone will buy it. But, but no one is. Truth of the matter is, President, name one thing in the president's plan of, uh, to fight inflation that actually lowers inflation? The answer is no, there is none. And in fact, he's still, Brian, he's still pursuing perhaps this week another nearly $2 trillion tax increase on Main Street businesses and on people who invest here in America in those supply chains, by the way. Uh, and he's looking at more spending, a trillion dollars if he can, that would fuel inflation higher. So, look, I, I, I know what they say. Um, everyone knows their actions are exactly the opposite, and that's why that's why his poll numbers in Texas are around thirty percent. Just no one's buying this stuff. You have about twelve thousand would be illegal immigrants, two thirds of which are women and children coming to the Texas border. They're right approaching Mexico, leaving Guatemala. 
What can you do to stop it being that you're not the party in power? Yeah, it is it is so frustrating because this is this is a humanitarian crisis. Uh this is a drug crisis. It's a criminal gang crisis. And along the border, you know, our our communities are paying a steep price for this. And I think the Uvalde mayor made the point the other day that they've closed down their schools uh 48 times last year because of threats wow. from uh, undocumented gangs and crimes occurring in their community. This is this is huge. The other point I want to make is, um, Brian, is that we've had more migrants die on American soil under President Biden than at any time in history. More than 700, many of them women and children who, who died trying to cross into America illegally because they've been given the green light by this president, you know, this open borders policy. And so the frustration is nothing. President's doing nothing. The vice president, obviously, is doing less than nothing there. But you've still got this humanitarian crisis and drug crisis going on in our backyard. And our governor is pulling out the stops to try to do everything he can. But 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 without this uh, a White House that just doesn't care, I mean, it's reckless mm-hmm. and dangerous, and they just don't care. And we're paying every single day millions of dollars to store a fence that would absolutely make the Border Patrol's life easier. <laughs> the American people have paid for it. Now we're paying to watch it rust. Congressman, no wonder you're getting out. He's retiring soon, but still making an impact. (laughs) Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Take care. All right. Coming up next, one of America's finest historians who tells a great story, too, uh, verbally as well as with the written word, Brad Meltzer. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's Brian Kilmeade Show. I hope you had a great weekend. With me right now is uh, you're watching him on Fox Nation, if you choose, and I hope you are. Uh, Brad Meltzer, best-selling author, host of Fox Nation, Brad Meltzer's Greatest Conspiracies of All Time. He's got two new books out. Uh, he's called I Am uh, I Am Dolly Parton and I Am I Am Pie. Uh, both go on sale now. You almost had me on that one. I said I am pay is we could have just done I am pay, but we did I am I am pay, which is the my kids have loved the title. It's their favorite title of all time. So how many uh, kids do you have? So I have three kids, which is you know why I wrote these books, right? Is is my I was tired of my kids looking at all these people on Instagram who are famous. And no these overpaid, uh, right? And and overpaid athletes, and all the people you see, all the people that you see on Instagram as our kids swipe, our kids are being fed garbage today, every single day. And we, as Americans, have to fight back. As parents, we have to fight back and give them better heroes to look up to. So we started the Ordinary People Change the World series. We started with I am Amelia Earhart, I am Abraham Lincoln, I am Rosa Parks, I am George Washington, and gave them better heroes to look up to. Where now the they told me the number one series teaching. 
American history to this young age group. And I'm so proud to unveil now. And of course, you know, starting with I Am Dolly Parton is our newest book that comes out right now. Right, who's going to the reluctantly going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I love that it's uh, the only she can be say I don't want to be, I don't need your nomination, and they still nominate her and still and they and still bring her in one over right? and one over of course. So well, why Dolly Parton? There's a country music star that's done so much uh, charity work, also has Dollywood. Yep. But and, what made you what brought put you into that? Yeah, put her and, and that I think for me, you know, what I love in this book is you see Dolly Parton as a real person. And she's a real human being. We've kind of lifted her up on that pedestal, but we do a disservice to our heroes when we do that. And, you know, when Dolly Parton was born, she was so poor that her father paid the doctor for delivering her with a sack of cornmeal. And it was her mother who gave her her love of books. She says one of the first books Dolly Parton loved as a kid was The Little Engine That Could. And that's who Dolly Parton is. Mm-hmm. She's the little engine that could. So they told her, you know, you're going to have to wear just, you know, regular costumes. And she was like, no, I'm going to wear amazing costumes. They said, you're just going to have to sing country songs. And she said, I'm going to sing songs for all audiences. They said, um, you know, you're going to just be a musician. She's like, no, no, I'm going to be a movie star. I'm going to open up Dollywood in my own amusement park. I'm going to start this charity, the Imagination Library, and give books to millions of kids who can't afford them. You know what the first book they gave away was, Brian? What? The Little Engine That Could. And I want my kids to have that lesson. You know, Dolly Parton, when she was a little girl, she was uh, – her mom made her a coat out of a patchwork of, of scraps of fabric, and she thought it was so beautiful. And she goes to school, and all the kids say it's so ugly. And the secret of Dolly Parton that no one realizes is she was really felt alone and lonely. She felt different than everyone else. Where she was from, no one wanted to go across the world, but she always wanted to know what's on the other side of the mountain. And what I love about her is she had this dream that butterflies would actually fly her there. I want my kids to know that being a dreamer is a good thing. Right. I want them to know that your dreams can take you anywhere. And when you read these books and you read about Dolly Parton, you see again that you go to her concerts. She doesn't just, you know, it's you have rich people there and poor people there, city folks and country folks. You have gay and straight. You have old and you have young. You have black and white and everyone in between. She judges nobody. She accepts you for who you are as long as you're being yourself. And in our culture right now, I want my kids to have a hero who says, you know what? We could use a little bit more sunshine in the world. How about I.M. Pei? I.M. Pei is one of the great architects. Many people don't know him. He's our first Asian-American hero. He designed the Louvre in Paris. And what his whole book is about is about looking at life differently. So he used to go through life. He saw um, you know, skyscrapers being built, and he was like, that skyscraper is like a giant, beautiful plant that comes out from the ground. He said, I want to be an architect. I want to build buildings. So he builds the Hancock Tower in Boston. Glass falls out of it and smashes everywhere, and it's not all perfect, right? Life is not all perfect. We have to remind our kids that you can fail sometimes, but he builds JFK's library in Boston. Mm-hmm. Then he, of course, builds the Louvre. One of the things, this is obviously on radio, but I'll show you here. In the book, because as an architect, we wanted to teach kids you got to look at life differently. So oh, we, we are streaming on I know, Fox we, Nation. We stream on Fox Nation. You can see this, so I'm going to open it up. But, and so you can see when you open up the part of the Louvre, it's not just a regular book, but you can see now nice. um, it pops up. So it's a pop-up book in I Am, I Am Pay because we said we want kids to see everything differently, have a new perspective on life. And I'll, I'll leave you. When we talk about him, this is my favorite. By the way, it looks a little like the Apple Store on 63rd. It does. It does. <laughs> it uh, does actually look like that. But he says, like, I'm going to read this one part because it's so good. It says, um, your future is yours to construct brick by brick. 
You can design it, shape it, and build something beautiful, build something meaningful, build something that expresses who you are. And he says, I am, I am pay. I know you are the architect of your own life. And I need my kids to know they have that power. So we picked two kind of creative people. We have so many, um, you know, today in the world, there's so many Hollywood people our kids look up to and so many music stars our kids look up to who are, are doing nothing good, right? Just giving our kids the wrong message every day. And I said, can I pick two creative people who will show our kids the beautiful things you can build with your creativity? And I thought Dolly Parton is, of course, the perfect choice. Mm -hmm. Um, So I Am Dolly Parton, you know, for my kids was – they were begging me for so long to do I Am Dolly Parton. They were like, Dad, and and Dolly Parton and her team were so nice to us when we were doing the book, were helpful in kind of giving us details that no one else had and sending us pictures so we can get all the details right. And our amazing artist Chris Eliopoulos has this art style that's like – it's almost like um, Charlie Brown meets Calvin and Hobbes. And so kids love these books. We have kids, you know, from birth, people buy them. But they're really for like four years old to 12 years old. And I love that people build libraries of our real heroes for their kids and their grandkids, their nieces and nephews. And when people run away from history, a lot of people run away from public schools. That's exactly right. About about a million people dropped out of public school during the pandemic and are going to private education, which is sad because you got to write a check. You're paying your school taxes, and then you got to write a check. And those teachers don't get paid for the most part enough. But you're able to have a curriculum that you can rest assured if I go to work, my kids are going to not going to be learning to hate the country. Well, that, you know, one of the, listen, the first book we did was I Am Abraham Lincoln. Why? Because I wanted my kids to know, to see this story that Abraham Lincoln lost one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight elections and still said, I'm going to keep going forward. Right. That he was this guy who, as a little boy, my favorite story in I Am Abraham Lincoln, I don't know if I ever told this one here is when he's a little boy, he's 10 years old, he used to love animals. And I could tell my kids, oh, he was the 16th president. I can tell him about the Emancipation Proclamation. They know all that stuff where he's on the, the $5 bill. But I tell my kids this story, that when Abraham Lincoln was a little boy, he loved animals so much, he saw a group of boys playing with turtles. And he says, I love turtles. So he races over to the boys, and they're not playing with the turtles. They're putting hot coals on the backs of the turtles to make them run faster, torturing the turtles. And Abraham Lincoln sees that, and he's just horrified, and he doesn't know what to do. And I don't care if you're 10 years old or you're 50 years old. Sometimes it's hard to do the right thing, but someone has to. And in that moment, Abraham Lincoln says to them, take the coal off the turtles. Leave them alone. And my son to this day sleeps with an Abraham Lincoln doll that one of our readers made for us based on our book because mm-hmm. he realizes Abraham Lincoln is a great man. And I, our George Washington book is one of our top-selling. I Am George Washington is one of the best books we've done because we're like, here's what an American hero looks like. And if we don't take that, you know, your kids are going to pick heroes whether you like it so or not. You've you got to do it. If you have values and ethics and it's burned into you young, the issues fall into a category of right and wrong. There's a gray area there. But if you have values and ethics in that foundation, that's the man or woman you elect. But, that's uh, the person who should represent you. That's the person who should teach your kids. You don't need to know the daily planner. I need to know the quality of the person and the product. My, my, you're absolutely right. My, my favorite line in I Am George Washington says, leadership is not about being in charge. It's about taking care of those in your charge. And I need my kids. What these book, Everyone thinks, oh, they're history books. The Ordinary People Change World Series has never been about history. It's about values. Right. It's about teaching my kids the right values. On the back of every book, it says that value. It says on the back of I Am Amelia Hart, it says I know no bounds. On the back of I Am Abraham Lincoln, it says I will speak my mind and speak for others. On the back of I Am... I am pay. It says, I will always be the architect of my own life. And on the back of I am Dolly Parton, it says, I will see the light that shines within you. Mm -hmm. Reminding kids, you need to put that sunshine in your heart. 
and have that like love for other people as opposed to that cynicism that's being fed to our kids every day. And if you can give your kids the values in these I am in the I am book series, to me that's what I'm trying to do as yeah. a parent is give my kids those values so they know the right pe- person to look up to as opposed to the wrong and person. And when they're out in the playground or when they're out of college, you don't have to worry about the day-to-day because you know they have the framework and foundation to make the right decision. Doesn't mean you always will. But I gave them the framework, but I right. can't be calling them walking through everything. Uh, I always that's say, too much hands-on. I always say you're building the pillars of the foundation of their of their emotional kind of support system. And if you teach them what you know, it shouldn't be so hard to know what is good and what is bad. And what we do in these books is we always show you the hero when they're little. We show Dolly Parton when she's a little girl and she feels different than everyone else, and and kids are laughing at her because of the clothes she's wearing. We have a story in I Am Dolly Parton that it was Christmas. And her dad wants to buy her mom, wants to buy his wife, Dolly Parton's mother, a new wedding ring, a proper wedding ring. And he says to the family, you know, we can't afford presents for everyone this year. I can't buy individual presents because i got to buy mom a wedding ring. And Dolly Parton says it wasn't bad for us. It was beautiful because we saw the sacrifice my dad was making for my mom. He gave all of us one group gift. It was chocolate-covered cherries. But I want people yeah. to hear that Christmas story and I am Dolly Parton and teach their kids, you know what? It's not about buying a million presents. It's about doing good for those who we love. That's a lesson our kids need. Uh, here's another lesson. It doesn't go as deep as those individuals. But I think watching Ukrainians, as imperfect as the democracy is, fight for something that we take for granted, freedom, made America recalibrate and said, stop thinking about us and the, civil, uh, the verbal civil war we're going through right now. And go, wait, what do they want? There's clear bad guy and good guy. And those other people just want to have the right to have a imperfect democracy. And they're being invaded by an evil person who wants the exact opposite. And all they're asking for is the weapons to let them fight and do what the Afghans were unwilling to do. No, that's right. And that is stand up for themselves. And and listen, Zelensky might be your next book, I think. I I would write it. I would write it. And and you and I were talking off the air and we were saying that you you look at this and you – we were saying that um, you know, right now we are in this verbal civil war. But in that moment when Ukraine happened, it was one of the few times where Democrats and Republicans, to my surprise, said, no, that's something bad happening to people that are good and we got to step up. And the reason why I think Americans reacted that way is because we as kids and those generations above us, of course, as kids, were taught the right values. We were taught you stand up when you see someone being picked on. That when you see someone being a bully, you got to stand up there. Like, like Abraham Lincoln does in that story I told you, stands up to those bullies and says, no, you can't do that. Someone has to step up. And again, for me, if we put those values in place, when your kid – you can't anticipate every thing that your kid's going to walk into. But when they watch that Ukraine story, I tell my kids, I want you to look at this. I want you to see the bully. I want you to see who's being picked on. That's your opportunity. It's exactly what we try to do in the book. And I'm going to drill down even further. You know, you you learn in different religions, turn the other cheek. But if the Ukrainians turn the other cheek and the West turns the other cheek, they lose their head. At certain times, you can't. And that's the way it is. I wish people were rational human beings and you can debate them. But there's irrational actors through history, from Stalin killing millions of his own people to Hitler, that we've seen this before. If you don't stop them early, if you pretend as if they could be rational— you have no excuse 
you should expect millions more to die because of your and listen, inaction. And the Bible says, yes, turn the other cheek, but it also says you have to take care of the poor. You have to take care of those who need it. You have to take care of those who need your help. And it means stepping force? up. It means that you have to step up. If you don't step up and help those who need help, we're, we have huge problems, and we all know that. The other thing that I think heartening is that you do have a subject in today's complex world of, of an example of a hero. Right. We don't know where he stands on uh, Roe v. Wade. We don't know where he stands on America's Second Amendment, but we know right and wrong and what a great leader is. And we also know that not many people anticipate he had this in him, maybe his parents. Right. That this former actor, uh, this this new to the political game and certainly new the military knows Russia well enough to know what he's up against, tried originally to reach out. And say, listen, I could probably breach this breach between us and you and Poroshenko, uh, the, the former leader. But I won about 30 points. Let me go. I used to perform in Moscow. When he realized he couldn't do that, they perceived that as weakness. So Putin's like, yeah, this little guy, he came up, that. put his hands out to me. So that is what we're taught. But then when we've said, OK, now the law of the jungle, I have to survive this jungle. And all they're asking for is armaments. Right. That's it. Well, and I also think what's really interesting is that when you look at some, you know, I believe this about U.S. presidents, I believe that this about him, is what makes a great leader is not your stance on a particular political issue. What makes a great leader for every president in history, when we judge who our great presidents are, it's when there is a crisis, how did you react? Yep. That is, Abraham Lincoln has, you know, he has no idea what the Civil War is going to become or what slavery is. He, he thinks that there are obviously these issues. We know the, that they hate him so much when he's elected. But he has no idea what he's really getting into. But the Civil War comes and he has to deal with it. George Washington at the beginning of the founding of a country has no idea what the country is going to be or what the crisis is going to be or even, of course, in the Revolutionary War what he's walking into. He doesn't have the training that the British military has. But he is up for the challenge when it presents itself. And that is exactly what's happening in Ukraine. He stepped right. up in this moment. I know in your books, it doesn't get into this, but people at home should realize as much as we laud George Washington, as much as internet, other nations study George Washington, they wanted him out. This oh, guy yeah. won't fight. This guy keeps losing battles. Listen, the first this guy's battle, overspending. The first battle, we did this in one of our nonfiction books, uh, the first battle that George Washington fights in the United States he gets pinned down to the East River by the British. We all th- we all tell the story that he's going to win. He's the best. He's the strongest. He gets pinned down. Don't don't finish it yet. When we come back, Brad Melter finishes that story. But most importantly, pick up his two books, I Am Pay and I Am Dolly Parton. And Brad, the best place to get them? Uh, you can get them on Amazon, your local bookstore, anywhere you want. They're for sale everywhere. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, I got a few more minutes with Brad Meltzer. So, Brad, set the scene. The president's backed up in Brooklyn, and he's about to be, and he's being challenged by a very slow-moving British army who want to destroy him. And and this is is one of the first great battles George Washington fights in the Revolutionary War. He's pinned back against, he has the East River behind him. He's got the British in front of him. This is the moment that George Washington should die. It should be over. We all think, you know, George Washington's the greatest hero who ever lived, but in the beginning, he didn't have the experience that the British military had. So he's pinned down, and it should be done. And, and to our point before, we were talking that great leaders react to moments. 
right? And in that moment, George Washington does the best thing he always does, is he improvises. And in that moment, we were talking off the air, fog rolls in in the middle of the night, and he plans a daring escape. And they start commandeering all the boats they can find along the East Civilian River. Civilian boats, barges, whatever anything they, they can, Anything, of, if it floats, they grab it. And one by one, he starts putting his men on these boats and sailing them to safety. But the thing and the, the great part of the story is, is George Washington won't get on any of the boats until everyone is safely across. And not just his high-level military people, but even the lower-ranking men. And that's where it says, as it said, I wrote this in my adult book, The First Conspiracy, but I also wrote it in I Am George Washington. It's the line I told you before, leadership is not about being in charge. It's about taking care of those in your charge. I want my kids to learn that lesson in the I Am George Washington book, but we all need to learn that lesson. And I love the fact that George Washington stands for that. And when the sun came up, the fog was still there, allowing them all to get out because the water initially was too rough for those barges to come through. Sometimes in life you have to retreat to fight another day. His heroic move was to retreat, and he got a lot of criticism. Sam Houston, too, until he finally had his confrontation in the runaway scrape. It's unbelievable. Pick up up Brad Meltzer's book, I Am Dolly Parton, I Am Pay. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hope you had a great weekend, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Coming to you via Long Island, where I had to take the train home. But I'm lucky enough to have a car on the way in that zooms me in in about 40 minutes. If I was to take one after 2.30, this was explained to people when I go out of town. They go, Brian, you still hop on the train? I go, yeah, number one, I get work done. Number two, I'm guaranteed to get there at the exact time. Very rarely are they late. Uh, For the most part, trains are like that. I mean, for the, you know, mass transportation. And number three is... If you are in a car after 2.30 leaving from New York City, you will sit in traffic on Long Island. You'll easily double your time. Three and a half hours, four hours. John Smoltz is going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour. Michael Goodwin did not need that explanation. He's from the New York Post. And today, uh, special thanks. The uh, Brian Kilmeade Show network of stations is getting bigger. Special thanks to uh, AM600, Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, SIS is now part of the family. We appreciate that. Uh, now let's to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. The Russians, some incremental gains and the Russians will likely take the city But they've expended so much, it's hard to see them being able to make much progress, at least in the near term after that, because they've reached what most of us looking at it day by day see as a culminating point. No quit. Russian surge, Ukrainian counters, and the war that should concern us all goes on as Kyiv is breached again this weekend. Number two. But we also know that the price of gasoline is is not set by a dial in the Oval Office. And when an oil company is deciding hour by hour how much to charge you for a gallon of gas, they're not calling the administration to ask what they should do. Unbelievable, this Transportation Secretary, Major Mayor Pete. Political problems mount. Uh, Biden books uh, to the beach. No joke, no malarkey. What the public is saying about Joe on the economy, inflation, baby formula, and the war and more, and why fractures at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue are beginning to show and hurt the country. Number one. We are talking about a meaningful change in our gun laws, a major investment in mental health, perhaps some money for school security that would make a difference. On the table is 
red flag laws, changes to our background check system to improve the existing system, a handful of uh, other items that will make a difference. Uh, There you go. Uh, Chris Murphy, optimistic, not sounding partisan, closing in. It seems the bipartisan Senate sessions are producing some type of gun deal. Will it help? And why are the sides telling the president to stay away? We'll examine. Michael Goodwin, I'm going to bring that first question to you. Why Why are they, Murphy and company, saying stay away, Mr. President? Well, it's an interesting uh, phenomenon, Brian, because uh, Joe Biden, of course, uh, fancies himself a bipartisan kind of guy, unify the country, blah, blah, blah. But uh, in fact, he's become, I think, poisonous to bipartisanship. Uh, his rancid attacks on Republicans, and, and I think that Democrats wisely saw that if you involve Biden, you bring in the far left. You bring in, you know, the, all the staff in the White House that uh, want to see things uh, sharply turn left. And so the best thing is to do it in secret, frankly, and present it to uh, the country and to Biden as a finished product rather than something that he could change, because I think his change would probably be a poison pill for Republicans. So uh, in Politico, they have the story that members of the Biden inner circle, including First Lady Jill Biden and the president's sister, Valerie Biden, have complained that the West Wing staff has managed Biden with kid gloves, not putting him on the road more, allowing him to flash some of that genuine, relatable, albeit gaff-prone self. They want to let Biden be Biden. That's the scariest uh, solution (laughs) to President Biden's problems I have ever heard. Who has he been if he hasn't been Biden? Uh, Look, I mean, this this is a guy who's over the hill. And the idea that he could withstand a real free-for-all uh, on the campaign trail and press conferences, I mean, go ahead, serve him up. Uh, I think it would be, would be a disaster for his presidency, and I think it would only hasten the party's move away from him. Look, uh, Brian, they are quickly coming to the point where we're going to have to know, is Joe Biden running in 2024? And it boggles the mind to think that he would, that that there would be any appetite for more Joe Biden. I still wonder if he's going to finish this term, let alone run for a second one. So So, the idea that you can unleash him and reap benefits, uh, that sounds like uh, just an attempt to blame the staff for what's gone wrong, not a solution for it. So I was struck last week by, and we discussed this just a bit, but it picked up momentum since we always uh, talk on Monday. Uh, CNN, uh, uh, Washington Post, as well as uh, Politico. They're just calling him out, saying there's fractures within the NBC, uh, fractures within the administration about where to go, the direction to have, and how upset the president is that his own staff keeps walking back his comments as if what he's saying is actually right and that his administration is actually wrong to walk him back. I don't really can't get my head around that idiocy. And then I see the L.A. Times over the weekend. I'll read you an excerpt. The president's approval rating still hasn't recovered from his exit from Afghanistan. Nearly 10 months later, Democrats' slim congressional majorities are in jeopardy uh, in November. Questions of competency persist at the White House. He's working strenuously to address domestic concerns about inflation and public health while managing a plethora of foreign policy complications, including Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. Uh, he, was supposed, he was supposed to rebuild credibility for nearly a year, ever since the botched withdrawal. That has not happened. The L.A. Times is losing it. You wrote this weekend that his, the crime running rampant in major cities 
the New York Times has given essentially tacit permission for him to be anti-crime for a while? Yes, Brian. The, the Times had an interesting piece. It was online Friday uh, in the print edition Saturday, and it talked about uh, – it was sort of a roundup of what's going on in Atlanta, uh, uh, San Francisco, uh, 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 other places around the country where Democrats are Democratic candidates for mayor and in some cases governor are running on an anti-crime platform. And the Times concludes that this is because, uh, A, most of these candidates are non-white, and their communities that, that they come from, the, rep, the, the areas that they currently represent if they're elected, or the cities as a whole, are largely non-white. And these are the people demanding better police protection from the criminals. And this is a, an earth-shattering event in the sense that the Democratic Party has been the party of pro-crime. It's the party that looked the other way in 2020 and excused all the rioting and murder that started with the George Floyd protest and has not stopped. Uh, and I also point out, Brian, that it was two years ago now, two years ago yesterday, that the New York Times published the Tom Cotton op-ed, which set off a firestorm within the Times staff. The paper recanted it essentially fired the opinion editor who published it, and it was all about how what Cotton was doing was urging President Trump, then President Trump, to send the military in to quell the riots and restore order in American cities. The Times went ballistic over that, and we've had a crime wave ever since. If you look at the statistics in every major city in America from 2020 over 2019, from 21 over 20, and now from 22 over 21, it's been a steady rise in violent crime, including murder. And it all goes back to that summer of 20 and the George Floyd protests, which turned into riots. Remember, mostly peaceful right. as the cities are being burned to the ground. Uh, the Times is now saying, in effect, that era is over. Uh, crime is a concern for non-white Americans and non-white candidates. Therefore, go at it, Democrats. Make crime something that you can run right. on. Don't just cede that to Republicans. I think it's a, potentially a remarkable turning point for the Democratic Party. Party if they seize it. But just to think that the New York Times will be dictating this and we just accept it, it's so outrageous that you're right. It's outrageous that you have identified this and it's right and accepted. I will never accept it that the newspapers who are supposed to be holding uh, people in power in account are actually giving them permission to do certain things. But I want to bring uh, a couple of things that you said. A lot of law enforcement listened, read your columns, and listen to this show. They, not in a million years, will be confused about what party had their back and what didn't. You'll never be able to snow the men and women who wear the badge or put it down or used to wear the badge who had their back and who put a target on it. So they, one thing about law enforcement, they're street smart by nature and by training. They know where the danger is, and it's a danger to keep these people in power. Not all, but most. Well, Brian, you make a good point, and uh, I'm recalling uh, the situation here in New York City. You have a, uh, a black mayor, Eric Adams, a black Democrat, a former police officer himself, who ran on making crime 
you know, public enemy number one. That's what he said from the beginning of his campaign. He was elected on that basis, and he has tried to do that. Uh, the New York Times did not endorse him. It endorsed the rivals who thought that social programs were the way to go. New York Post, I should add, did endorse Eric Adams. Uh, but but, uh, but also, I, I received a letter from a, from a pol- retired police officer uh, a while back, and the, and the Post eventually published an op-ed from this officer. He retired, and he said in New, from the NYPD, he said, you know, even if Adams lets the police go out and do their jobs now, takes the handcuffs off the cops, he said, I don't know that the, the muscle memory still exists in the NYPD wow. to do what it did. And I think that's a very good point. And you look around the country and you wonder now, I mean, places like Seattle and Portland, Chicago, it's been a very long time I do, Michael. the police were allowed to do their But, job. Michael, remember, and you lived it and you wrote about it, but in the 70s when you were writing for the New York Times in the 80s, they had no muscle memory, period. So they, we could, they created the muscle memory. That's right. And then that's they right. did it. So I, I believe it's still there, but I understand the, the fear. Quick thing, a kind of relatively breaking news is that it looks like the president's going to have his uh, meeting of the Americas and in Los Angeles beginning today. And it looks like Mexico will boycott. And you know why? Because Nicaragua, Venezuela and Cuba were not invited. They are not only dictatorships, but they are allies of Vladimir Putin. They should never have been invited. But for the president of the United States to be left this naked and embarrassed when Mexico not attending the first our first hosting of this event that Clinton created and our first hosting since 94 and to have Mexico not show up and others to follow his wake. What an embarrassment. Well, it goes to the heart, Brian, of a lot of the things that you and I have talked about all along. He's a weak president, and people are not afraid to defy him. Uh, do you think that uh, Joe Biden would cut off any aid to Mexico? Would he do anything in retribution? Of course not. He'll, he'll, take, the, he'll take the insult and just keep moving. And I think that Look, Vladimir Putin, you mentioned earlier, Afghanistan, the L.A. Times piece. It's hard to believe that what's happened in Ukraine isn't some way influenced by what happened in Afghanistan. Uh, Certainly China is getting more belligerent about Taiwan. Isn't that also raising the question of what would Joe Biden do if if China went after Taiwan militarily? I mean, so all, all of these things are hanging in the balance. A president is tested repeatedly uh, by foreign powers, but also by domestic groups. And Joe Biden, as far as I can tell, seems to fail every test except from the far left, which for some unknown reason he keeps pandering to. And I think it is destroying his presidency. Real quick, uh, today, I think Thursday this week, it looks like the Congressional Democrats have hired an ABC producer who does documentaries to start the show. Thursday, the January 6th hearings, they're putting their biggest names up top. They're going to have sensational headlines and tell a story using ABC documentarians' expertise. How, uh, and their goal is to make Donald Trump unelectable. How do you see this playing out? Does uh, that mean George Stephanopoulos is going to be the host? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> it could be. Certainly qualifies. I mean, that's right. That's right. Uh, look, uh, I think January 6th, uh, 
has has spent its force long ago it was it was always designed for one thing and that was now it was always designed to be a help to the democrats in the midterms but um, as as we've all talked about uh, the economy. It's always the economy is number one. And if the economy were neutral or slightly good or slightly bad, then that's the kind of thing that can butter your bread a little more. But when the economy is this bad in the sense of inflation, gasoline prices, food prices, uh, really nothing else is going to break through until you see major progress on these things. And I think that's uh, they planned this thing. They worked hard hard to keep it alive, to keep breathing life into it. I mean, you know, the arrest of uh, Peter Navarro shackling him. I mean, they've been doing everything they can to get headlines to to enrage. I mean, you look at the the newspapers. Donald Trump is on the front page more than Joe Biden is. I mean, the media is doing its best to fan this anti-Trump flame. That's all this is. It's anti-Trump. It's white supremacy, dogma, dogma, dogma. Uh, But when you look at the reality of what people care about, it's always the economy. It's always public safety, and it's especially so this year because of the inflation. Absolutely, and the gas prices. Uh, Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. Uh, NYPost.com and, of course, uh, Fox News contributor. Michael, thank you. My pleasure, Brian. All right, I'll take your calls next, 1-866-408-7669. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. President Biden this week said he didn't learn about the severity of the infant formula shortage until April, but problems first emerged back at the Abbott plant back in October of 2021. An industry executive said they knew how bad this could get when the plant closed in February. You're the Secretary of Commerce. When did you first learn of this problem? Uh, I first learned about it, you know, uh, a couple of months ago. So this is uh, this is, so a, this is a difficult issue, but uh, yes, probably April. Yeah, the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo, they say she's a superstar in the administration. Being honest, but that's pathetic. Shows a terrible situation. Jerry, list WSKY in Ocala, Florida. Hey, Jerry. Hey, good morning, Brian. Excellent show, as always. Uh, very provocative. Um, I'm a retired federal law enforcement officer, and I was a second-line manager for a number of years. And I've seen uh, steadily eroding the level of commitment of the younger officers coming into the force. And, I, you know, going back to the muscle memory uh, issue, I think there's going to be a, a, a large... Uh, challenge for, uh, you know, state, local, and federal to get people that are very dedicated to the job. Because when I first started, it was a vocation. You know, we give our lives for the job. Then it became a career where people just wanted to do a good job. And now it's just a job for these guys coming on board. And particularly with the um, the restrictions that, at the state level, you know, I'm, I'm, even though I live in Florida, I'm f- from New York formally, and the way they beat down the New York City Police Department, those guys and gals that are trying to do a good job, I just see it a very much an uphill climb in the public. I think it's going to continue to suffer, especially those most vulnerable well, in there. Well, Bill, thanks, man. From the law enforcement perspective, I think they can always be uh, trained and updated and motivated because mostly they're disciplined people by trade. A lot of them come out of the military. They, they could understand a change in tactics. Might be a little lag time. Mm-hmm. 
Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Smoltz running with a great jump. He steals second, standing up. Tomlin paid no attention to him whatsoever. Smoltz could have crawled to second base. John Smoltz crossing everybody up by stealing second. How many times do you see a pitcher steal second without a play? He did not have a stolen base during the season. Nixon makes it hurt. Puts it in the gap to score a run. 5-3 Atlanta. The stolen base, a big play. And Otis Nixon ties the league championship series record with his fifth consecutive hit. And there you go. John Smoltz, maybe a highlight you weren't counting on us bumping in with, but we did. The National League, that was the National League Championship Series Game 4 back in 1992. Uh, and that, of course, uh, was one of the many playoff appearances that you had and the world championship you were able to get, uh, who's done just about everything in his career. John Smoltz, welcome uh, back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Oh, thanks for having me. I think awesome. the last time I, I think I, was, I saw you, I was on the set at Major League Baseball Network. That's right. Right. That's right, and and uh, we had a lot of fun, and, and certainly uh, when you played that clip, I had a little smile on my my face because most people would not uh, remember that I even did that. Well, did you get the go sign, or was that just John Smoltz seeing an opportunity? I just went on my own. You know, uh, I know it's hard to believe, but back in the the early part of my career, I was the official uh, pinch runner for someone who wasn't a position player. So I had to, I had to be on the bases more than uh, most pitchers. So when I got on the on that base, I just decided I'm going to go, and uh, it worked out. So John Smoltz, 213 wins in his Hall of Fame career, uh, threw over 3,000 strikeouts, was a closer as well as a starter, uh, and now he's put the same amount of work effort into a broadcaster. Uh, John, I've I've asked this to other people in the past, and they say it doesn't come close. But do, when you prepare for a big game to work it, or you know you're on the scoreboard show for a big game, does anything compare to having the ball in your hand on the mound? Uh, not really. But I'll tell you what's close is when I get the, the luxury of being able to call the World Series. Um, you know, trying to describe and, and having lived through some of those moments, it makes it uh, a lot more enjoyable to have been through most of it. And getting an opportunity to uh, prepare for a game, I think most people wouldn't realize how much work really goes into it. I'll give you an example. When I prepared for a game as a pitcher, I only had to worry about eight guys, nine tops, right? As a broadcaster, I have to worry about all 52 or the whole roster. So it's definitely different. And I have, uh, I've enjoyed it, but it's a lot more work than if somebody would have told me beforehand, I don't know how eagerly I would have jumped into it, but it's been a blast to call the World Series for Fox and be part of really what I call the greatest time of the year. Cause you know, I got a chance as a player to do that 14 times and actually 15 times and never did I take it for granted and never did I not want to have one more opportunity to do it. I always thought too, that you could be the Frank Gifford of baseball. And he of course was play by play. I mean, I feel I feel like you could do that. Um, another another thing that you do, like I think the first great golfer, I re, uh, baseball player, that ended up being a great golfer was Rick Roden. I remember every time yes. they had these celebrity tournaments, he always did so well. And then here you are, let twenty twenty one in a playoff with Vinny Del Negro. Let's listen. Cut thirty eight. And there, there it is. Great putt, Vinny. In his twentieth appearance. Vinny Del Negro becomes the first ever basketball player to win the American Century Championship, and he does it in the third playoff in the history of this event. 
So before we talk about uh, the 33rd, uh, what was that like for you? Um, because it is this is a celebrity edition. Do you have the same adrenaline going through your veins as you did when you were playing baseball? Yeah, unfortunately, that round, it's really a really cool story. Vinny's a great guy. I played with him a bunch. And coming down the stretch, um, he was uttering these words out loud. And I didn't understand it at the time. But he was, you know, when you're golfing, you don't really say much. But he kept saying in the last three holes with every shot, lock in Vinny loud enough that I could hear it. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately for me, he didn't miss a shot when he did that. And so when the tournament's over and I'm frustrated and I'm really down, on you know, I lost my swing and I, I just didn't make enough good shots down the stretch, I found out, and Vinny tells the story, that on Wednesday that week he lost his dad and didn't tell anybody. So he was playing with this emo- emotional heavy heart, and he told the, the, the press corps that before every game his dad used to tell him, lock in Vinny. And so it made sense what he was doing down the stretch and using that energy and using that focus, and it was it wow. took the 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 sting away from my loss because I'm a I'm probably the most competitive guy in the world, and I was so disappointed in losing. But then hearing that story, it, it, it made me realize, you know, obviously Benny was going through so much more, and and it fueled him to a win. So I, I can't wait to get back. Um, it's like throwing a bad game and give five days later to try to redeem yourself. The only difference is this has been a year. <laughs> so wow. I can't wait to get back. It's the greatest sports event that we have that none of which we are, um, you know, professional in or did our, our, our profession. in. So of course the 2022, uh, American century championship, which you're talking about, this is going to be the 33rd, uh, Celebrity Golf Championship. It's going to air on the Golf Channel on July 8th and NBC Saturday and Sunday, July uh, 10th and uh, 9th and 10th. At stake, $600,000 in prize money. Galleries will have about 50,000 people there. And now you have 30 current and former NFL players taking part in it, including Matthew Stafford, Dwayne Wade, Alex Caruso, John Lester. Active players include Steph Curry. I hear he is fantastic. His brother, Seth. Yes. Uh, Seth. Uh, Kyle Lowry and Alex Caruso. Who else should, not that I know you, you want to win, I get it, but who else should we look for that just has got this tremendous golf game? Yeah, the ones that dominate the uh, the tours have been Mark Mulder, Marty Fish. You know, when Tony Romo plays, Tony is great. A lot of these guys are so much younger. And, you know, I, I wanted to be the oldest winner last year. I think Vinny ended up being the oldest um, but the, 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 the event has brought out everyone's golf game in, in interesting ways. A lot of guys and gals take it pretty seriously, and, and you can see from year to year their work on their game. Um, for me, fortunately, this year, normally I come flying in by the seat of my pants after the All-Star game, but for whatever reason, the All-Star game's later, so I'll have this luxury of coming in and just being relaxed into the tournament. So, uh, I'm, and I'm also going to make some changes in how I go about it. You can tell I'm pretty, pretty locked in. I'm wanting to do well, and 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 there's the difference between being very passionate and desire to want to do well so much that you kind of press. I'm going to have a different approach this year, but it's a it is for us. It is the greatest event that we get to play in, and of course the venue and the cause and the charity all uh, are a huge part of the play. Right. So, John, if you use somebody who subscribed to the theory, show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I literally, since that day ended, 
I have been trying to work on things that will <laughs> to not get so mad, right? And I've, 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 I've actually mastered that part the last two months. But there's a difference because now it makes me feel at times like I'm not as passionate or don't care. And that is the farthest thing from the truth. But I'm trying to create an opportunity to just hey, bad shot, let it go, and then uh, you know go on to the next shot. That The beauty of baseball, I had the ball in my hand. And when I wanted to force action and you know create uh, an atonement, I could do that quickly. In golf, that is the opposite. You wait and you wait and you continuously have time on your hands to think about what just happened, and that's a process that um, I'm working on. Do you take lessons? I never have, and the reason I haven't is is a couple things. Physically, there's some things I can't do. Uh, baseball has uh, beat up my body a little bit. So I, I, my frustration level would be if you show me what to do and I can't do it, I would be so frustrated because <laughs> I would try to perfect it. And so I've become self-taught um, in, in pretty much everything that I've done. And there's good and bad in that. And obviously the bad is where you can create some bad habits that are hard to change. Couple of things. Uh, so that's going to be great. He takes it serious. We're going to be wa- we're going to watch on the Golf Channel on NBC Saturday, Sunday, July 9th and tenth. We're going to be talking to players leading up to this. A lot of prize money, but it's just great to see other uh, players excel in something. Maybe they're not as good at. Maybe better. Sometimes average players are great golfers, and vice versa. Uh, it's amazing to how many chapters there are to your career. I want to talk about baseball this year, if I could. I don't know. Yep. There's many people in New York that thought anything that the Yankees were actually going to be this good or even better than last year. In fact, they were talking about general manager Brian Cashman maybe moving on. And now they come out with the best record in baseball. How, how do you, first off, we know about Judge and Stanton's hurt now but playing well. We know that Glaber's uh, reclaimed uh, some of what he had two years ago. But how do you explain this much success? Well, the biggest thing is anytime you, you're expected to win, there's going to be the obvious. Um, you need your great players to be great, right? But what they've done this year is they pitch better than anybody. It is unbelievable what their pitching staff has been able to do. And you need surprises. And Cortez has been a great surprise. And Cole is supposed to be great. He's going to be. But their pitching staff is the reason. They've taken advantage of their schedule. Look, baseball is 162 games. And sometimes you play teams early on. They're not the same teams you play later. later. And I know a lot of people make a big deal sometimes about the schedule. But the schedule is the schedule, and you have to play the one that's given to you, and they've dominated it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the the team hasn't even hit their stride offensively. So that's the scary part about the the Yankees. Here's what I've always said about the New York Yankees. When it comes closer to the postseason, if their lineup has too many strikeouts in it, meaning they they don't put the ball in play enough, they get exposed in the postseason against great pitchers. But they've added some pieces in their lineup that, like, that put the ball in play better. And that is what the Yankees, the scariest offense team for years in their stadium, yes, they could hit a ton of home runs. But now they get the ball in play a little bit more, and Judge is doing the things that everyone expects him to do. The Yankees pitching staff is the reason why they're so good. Can Atlanta catch the Mets? I don't think the Atlanta Braves can catch the Mets this year. Um, the Mets are the, the deepest team I've seen uh, in the National League for them for their organization, and they're doing it without their best two pitchers. So with the playoff being expanded this year, you know, and the Braves and even the Washington Nationals going back proved that you can win a World Series being under 500 going into September, and never did you ever think that could happen. Get hot at the right time, which both those teams did. I think it serves as a nice, not a blueprint, but it gives teams hope that don't have the luxury of catching that 
that division leader. And the Mets last year just weren't as good to hold on to that lead, and that's why the Braves made all those moves. I don't think that's the case this year, and I believe the New York Mets, as much as these fan base has been dying to see this team get to October, I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised this year, and they can make a real deep run. John Smoltz, my guest. And, and John, the last thing, question, and I started reading this last week, so excuse me if I don't describe it accurately. The Mets evidently have purchased this, this piece of equipment that allows them to bat against a pitcher that they're about to pitch against in as if in a virtual setting they'll actually give them swings against that person's velocity and motion and spin movement and everything else that goes into it. Do you know anything about this? Yeah, when in the latter part of my career that had come out and not every team had kind of, you know, maybe trying to figure that out. And it was a projection. The one that I remember is you could see like I always wanted to face me. I wanted to see what that would be like. And you could actually have the motion of a pitcher and you see it visually and then it comes out of that hole or slot where the ball would come out of the release point. And it really has an opportunity to kind of mimic, if you will, uh, the certain type of pitches that you're going to face. And so it, I always thought it was brilliant. And, you know, from the timing, not every hitter would like that because you want to see the, the actual hand right. be throwing a baseball. But it's the next closest thing, simulation, if you will, of what you're going to face. And I think there's some value in it, no doubt. Uh, but the Mets lineup is so much better. It's deeper. And, again, they don't have many strikeouts in that lineup, per se, on a daily basis. That's what makes them tough. I, I just think there's ever going to be a prediction of a Subway Series. This has got the most uh, most evidence for it. Uh, might be this year, although the Dodgers might have something to say about that and there's some other good teams. Lastly, uh, you came out and said something. One of the biggest phenomenons in sports, and maybe he's even underreported, even though it is Los Angeles, is Otani and the fact that this guy is an elite pitcher and elite hitter uh, from Japan. And you believe that if he just focused on pitching, he'd be the best in baseball. So you think he's hurting yeah. himself by playing in the outfield? You think the Braves should do the what the Red Yankees did and say uh, stop pitching, hit? Only the Braves should do the excuse me, the Angels should do the opposite. No, I think I think the shelf like the, the everyone's trying to figure out, you know, how long can he do this? And I think at some point you get a diminishing point of return. He is phenomenal. He's great for baseball. He's great for what the Angels signed him to do. Remember when they enticed all these people are trying teams are trying to entice him. I believe the Angels came up with the most comprehensive and creative contract that allowed him to do this. I don't think in their wildest dreams, I don't know this, but I don't think in their wildest dreams they thought this would last long enough to where he could be really, really good at both and great at both. What he did last year, almost impossible to duplicate. But my point in trying to explain to people what he's doing, it's hard enough to be Jacob DeGrom on the Mets and dominate baseball. All he has to think about is baseball. He doesn't have, yeah, he hit when they didn't have the DH, but it didn't matter. It wasn't the stress that he was putting in every day. This guy has to every day has to function and think about something and break down something. So if he's having a bad time on the mound, he has to turn around the next day and, and focus on hitting or vice versa. So he's taking away from greatness, Interesting. even though he's great. Right. And if he could focus on one or the other, he would be that much better. And it's, it's difficult when you do both to try to ask him to only do one. So my comment was he's so gifted on the mound He's putting in, let's just say, 20% of the work to be great on the mound. Imagine if he put 100%. He 
He has two of the most dominating pitches in the game. Gotcha. And he only does that once every six times. Understood. And they've lost 11 in a row, so maybe they got to do something. Uh, it's airing on the Golf Channel July, uh, July 8th and NBC Saturday and Sunday, July 9th and 10th. I'm talking about the 33rd Annual Championship of Celebrity Golf. And my money is on John Smoltz uh, because he wants it and you tend to get what you want. John, thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Brian. Uh, you got it. Uh, back in a moment. I'll take your calls. one 408 Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Photo insights are popular. Even among African-Americans, something like three-quarters of whites and I think 69% of black folks say, yeah, we should have photo IDs. So why is that an issue? Well, you see, I'm for voter ID as opposed to photo ID. You should prove... No, we're talking about photo ID. Well, yeah, what, but I'm to talking... prove that you should vote. Well, yeah, but, but here's the deal. What, you, what they've done, like in Texas, they said you have to have photo ID. If you have a, a photo ID issued by the state of Texas that says that you can carry a concealed weapon, that's cool. If you have a state-issued um, photo ID that says you're a student at the University of Texas, not cool. <laughs> and so you can see how right. they're trying to fool okay. around with it. That's a, he, he, Bill Maher had him dead to rights. What he made up is the problem is you can make up a student ID that's totally different than a, a motor vehicle driver's license. What are you, an idiot? He could, Bill Maher nailed this guy. America wants voter ID. The African-American community wants voter ID. We don't want our vote nixed because somebody's cheating. No matter who you are, no matter who you vote for. Why is this under, too hard for him to understand? Special thanks to WSJS. We're privileged as of today uh, to be in their great lineup. Uh, so WSJS, uh, AM600. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, and Winston-Salem. And we appreciate it. News, talk, and sports will be the news. And I do talk sports, so pretty much it's one-stop shopping. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, New York City, uh, but heard around the country, heard around the world, and in the Ukraine. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, at the top of the hour, I'll be joining outnumbered on the couch. You'll see what I'm wearing if it's the same thing as Fox and Friends. Senator Mike Lee will be back and be on with us in a second. Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour. A lot to discuss today. In fact, the President of the United States is going to be doing something bipartisan. Nothing to do with gun control. He's going to be officially naming a stamp after Nancy Reagan. So there you go. America can come together. There's more proof of that. And 78 years since D-Day, that's a, a note to remember. Uh, Friends of the National World War II Memorial commemorate the 78th annual anniversary of D-Day. Uh, and, of course, there's a lot of these great uh, trophy flights that happen, so it's, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, and um, we'll see what else is going on. Meanwhile, we could be on the pre- threshold of some type of bipartisan de- deal on guns, which brings me to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Russians, some incremental gains, and the Russians will likely take the city, but they've expended so much, it's hard to see them being able to make much progress, at least in the near term after that. 
because they've reached what most of us looking at it day by day see as a culminating point. That's why these sanctions got to be even picked up and more strict. No quit. Russian surge, Ukrainian counters, and the war that should concern all of us uh, goes on as Kiev is breached over the weekend. Number two. But we also know that the price of gasoline is, is not set by a dial in the Oval Office. And when an oil company is deciding hour by hour how much to charge you for a gallon of gas, uh, they're not calling the administration to ask what they should do. He has no idea about the oil and gas industry, and it's just sickening. That is Mayor Pete, now Secretary of Transportation. Political problems mount. Uh, Joe Biden book, uh, books to the beach. No joke. What's the public saying about him and his job performance, the economy, baby formula, inflation, and war? We'll discuss it. Number one. We are talking about a meaningful change in our gun laws, a major investment in mental health, perhaps some money for school security that would make a difference. On the table is red flag laws, changes to our background check system to improve the existing system, a handful of uh, other items that will make a difference. Uh, There you go. Uh, That is uh, Senator Chris Murphy closing in. It seems the bipartisan Senate sessions are producing some type of gun deal. They asked one thing of the president, stay out of it. Uh, And again, special thanks to WSLS uh, AM 600 Greensboro, North Carolina, for now carrying the show. Senator Mike Lee joins us from Utah. He's got a brand new book out called Saving Nine, the fight against the left's audacious plan to pack the Supreme Court and destroy American liberty. Senator, welcome back. Thank you so much, Brent. Good Sen- to be with you. Senator, it's a bipartisan look at what could be uh, coming down first on guns, expanded background checks, incentives for red flag laws for states, and funding for mental health and school security. That's all I know. Can you tell our audience anything else? Yeah, it's basically my understanding of where they want to go with this. And, you know, they're always wishing to expand government generally and the federal government in particular. One of their favorite things to do is spend more federal money. And another one of their favorite pastimes these days seems to be that when someone has violated multiple laws, often dozens of laws, uh, they want to propose yet more laws, thinking that that's somehow going to do the trick. Yeah. uh, So for are you against any bipartisan move to do this or are you hearing from Senator Cornyn that this might be something you could support? Well, I, I don't see anything that they have proposed that would solve the problem. I'll consider anything they want to propose, and it's possible that I, I'm not aware of what they're doing. But um, I, I have a lot of reluctance around the idea of uh, pushing this notion that we're going to respond to a tragedy like this one by incrementally eroding the rights of law-abiding American citizens. More often than not, these proposals end up doing little or nothing to protect uh, people from uh, violent gun crimes, and they do a lot to uh, uh, make life more difficult for those who are already abiding by the law. I'll consider any proposal that they bring up, but I'm not optimistic that any of those are going to meet my exacting standards in that regard, because uh, this seems like a a knee-jerk reflex response to something bad that has happened without necessarily considering how it will affect the rights of the law abiding. Do you know, and since you do such a student of the law, do you know how we get a red flag on a 16-year-old who shows signs of violence with guns, like the one in Buffalo and the other one who everyone in their life could say this guy was a danger 
and as soon as they turn 18, they got this clean record, and they go able to go and buy a gun. When you know the gun store owner never would would love to be able not to sell this guy a gun, how can we deal with that? All right, so we we had a focus on figuring out how to enforce the laws that we've already got on the books. It's already unlawful for somebody to have a gun if they're a convicted felon or if they've been convicted of a misdemeanor crime of domestic violence or if they've got uh, a certain type of domestic violence-related restraining order out against them or if they've been adjudicated mentally incompetent or uh, ordered involuntarily committed to an institution. Any of those things would prohibit someone from acquiring a gun lawfully or even possessing a, a gun or uh, or, or ammunition. And so in many of these circumstances, we've got people who could have and should have been handled appropriately by the system. And in some cases, they might have even been able to be deemed uh, persons who may not acquire a weapon. Uh, I think we ought to be focused on what it is, some of the factors that you just described of how people were able to skate through, uh, even with all sorts of issues that should have perhaps led to them being institutionalized or being deemed uh, mentally unfit, uh, why they were overlooked. Understood. Uh, Senator, I probably don't have to, I'm, you're probably not going to hear this for the first time with me. You probably heard it last week when it was said, but it's definitely noteworthy in place to your book. Here's Congressman Mondre Jones. Enough of your thoughts and prayers. Enough. Enough. You will not stop us from advancing the Protecting Our Kids Act today. You will not stop us from passing it in the House next week, and you will not stop us there. If the filibuster obstructs us, we will abolish it. If the Supreme Court objects, we will expand it, and we will not rest until we have taken weapons of war out of circulation in our communities. Each and every day, we will do whatever it takes to end gun violence, whatever it takes. So that plays to the the, uh, name of your book, Saving Nine, the nine Supreme Court justices. The Democrats had every hope of packing the Supreme Court. And basically, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema are two of the people that stood in their way. That's a fear of yours. Why should we all worry about that? Yeah, it's a fear of mine. It's a fear that I speak to in the book with regard to Representative Jones in particular. Uh, This is someone who has tried to demonize and delegitimize the Supreme Court itself as an institution and isolate those Supreme Court justices who aren't inclined to kowtow to the demands of the ultra-woke liberal political movement in this country. And so, uh, yeah, look, there's no question they want to do this. They they want to expand the Supreme Court. They want to pack the Supreme Court. That's one of the reasons why I wrote Saving Nine is because of statements made by people like Representative Jones, people who are – willing to come out and and attack the integrity of an institution that warts and all, despite its flaws, despite the fact that all of us have decisions that we can identify that the Supreme Court has made that we don't agree with from time to time. But as I explained in Saving Nine, this is not a bad institution that sometimes does good things. It's a good institution that sometimes makes mistakes. But it's the best of its kind anywhere in the world. And responding to disagreements by saying that's it, we're going to impair the court's objectivity. Responding to them by saying we're going to allow the incumbent president where he controls uh, Congress with his political party to 
get rid of the objectivity of the court would be destructive to liberty itself and to our constitutional system of government. And do you feel as though that uh, there's a lot of lawyers who do your job in the Senate and in the House? Don't they realize the American system and the way it should work? Well, they have a different conception of the way it should work. And there are a number of people in this body who believe that the court is there to do their bidding, that the court should be there to reach conclusions that are consistent with their concept of social justice and that the Constitution somehow encompasses what they see as a desirable political outcome. But as I explained in Saving Nine, not every good idea is constitutional, not every bad idea is unconstitutional, but more importantly, uh, very, very few ideas, very, very few policy objectives are up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is there, as I explained in Chapter 1 of Saving Nine, simply to decide cases, to decide individual disputes about what a particular provision of law or the Constitution means, and that's it. Do you expect Roe v. Wade to be overturned sometime in the next few weeks or a few days? I do. And I I explain uh, in, uh, I believe it's in Chapter 7 and 8 of Saving Nine, that that's one of the reasons why I became so concerned about the effort to pack the Supreme Court, I started foreseeing uh, early last year, shortly after President Biden took office, that the left knew that Roe versus Wade uh, was um, sort of uh, on the edge. Because Roe versus Wade, as they themselves know, is not doctrinally sound. It's not rooted in the text, the structure, the history, the traditions of our law, uh, of our Constitution. And so they know that with President Trump recently having put three textualist originalists on the court to join other textualist originalists, including Justice Alito, my former boss, and, and uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, they knew that um, the days of Roe are numbered. And that's exactly why they want to pack the Supreme Court so they can undo those things. They want the court mm-hmm. to continue to be uh, answerable to them politically, to do their political dirty work things that they can't accomplish through the legislative process. And that's wrong. That's why I explained that Saving Nine is about much more than the Supreme Court. It's about much more than the threat of packing the Supreme Court. If you read Saving Nine, you'll you'll walk away with a better understanding for the way our government works and how how fragile the system really is, how wonderful it is, but at the same time, how we have to protect it. Saving Nine will give you the tools you need to do that. You'll never lose another political argument in your life after you read Saving Nine. So in this scenario that Roe v. Wade gets overturned and there'll be certain states where, uh, where abortion will be illegal, right? Where they, even though the majority of the country feels as though it should stay in place, but the most of the country also feels as though after the first trimester, uh, abortion should not, is not okay. We can go into those numbers back and forth, 5% either, there, either way. But do you think that this is going to end up being that so-called sanctuary city inside a red state? So the Austin, Texas, inside Texas, yeah, it might be illegal, but they're going to do it anyway. Just like having giving illegals some sort of citizenship is illegal, that sanctuary, they can't be kicked out, something that we see all the time. Well, that will be up to each state to decide. And, you know, cities, individual cities and counties and other subdivisions of a state they are precisely that, they're, and they're therefore subject to state law control. So each state can decide whether, when, to what extent, in what way they want to allow local autonomy. 
Uh, that will be up to them to decide. And it's one of the things that's so crazy and infuriating and, and shocking about the left's response to the Dobbs draft opinion, which really was masterfully written. And I encourage everyone uh, to, to read that opinion, regardless of their views on abortion or, or Roe. Um, but it drives me nuts that the left is saying that the Alito draft opinion in the Dobbs case somehow signals the end of democracy. It is quite the opposite. We've been living for abortion policy purposes and a judicial oligarchy for the last 49 years, nearly my entire life. But what this will do is allow the democratic processes within our country to function as the Constitution intended them to. Understood. Uh, so pick up Senator's book and, and learn a lot, like you usually do, whether it's about history or about the law. It's called Saving Nine, the Fight Against the Left's Audacious Plan to Pack the Supreme Court and Destroy American Liberty. Congratulations, Senator. Hey, thanks so much, Brian. Go get him. one 408 I see your names up there. I'll get to you, I promise, uh, best I can. Then we welcome in Brett Baer. Uh, who's also got a great series on uh, talking about the Vietnam War. We'll discuss that. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Let me say a few things. I mean, number one, uh, in understanding why gas prices have gone up, January 17th, that is the day Putin moves troops to the border of Belarus and Ukraine. Uh, but, gas but the prices, prices are at $3.31. The prices, the prices were going up prior no. to that, though. I know, but they, were, they, they had gone up, but they were up at $3.31. What you just said is they're at $4.82 now. Mm-hmm. They've gone up $1.50 you know, because of the unthinkable Russian aggression so, in Ukraine. So, 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 Number, so back to that's my number one. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, so that's what's going on. Uh, let's go to Bill WNIS. Hey, Bill. Hello, Brian. Bill, you're on. Hey, how are you? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, a lot of things. Um, uh, my father was. Uh, I called him by my father on Memorial Day, and I was. Um, I was. His memory was dishonored by the by the. Uh, my guy that takes the calls. Can you believe that on a Memorial Day call? And, and and it's because I call in a lot, and I say this is revelation in the Bible. And I say the four horses are are the ones causing all the calamity that's that's happening because it's all happening around the world. All all things are are going well. We know it's seventy eight years since the. Uh... Uh, the invasion of Normandy. Uh, we know it's the, the D-Day anniversary. We know there's also uh, a lot going on there. A hundred years since the aircraft carrier was invented. We got a lot going on in and around the world. A lot of anniversaries. So we're always going to have uh, always have a tribute for that. I don't think any station or any channel does more for Memorial Day than we do. So I'm sorry you're disappointed with that. Um, the other thing to keep in mind too: there's so much politi- so much political movement. This week alone, get this, the January 6th trial starts, and the Democrats are making this like a show. They actually brought in a a documentarian from ABC to help produce and unveil different people in the order in which will make the most impact. On top of that, the Supreme Court is handing down a series of decisions, one of which we know about the leak is going to be handed down the Roe v. Wade. So if that is overturned, historic, that is going to be huge news. And then this week, as the Senate goes back into session— with the House, the Senate might be unveiling 
gun restrictions or some type of uh, uh, gun changes to the gun laws in this country that hopefully gel with the Constitution. They might have some type of bipartisan support because we're all horrified about the series of shootings that took place this week. But the president of the United States has spent this weekend, he's spent all Friday talking about how much he's focused on the economy and the stories of how much his administration is at each other's throats, how disappointed they are. Uh, the President Biden is with his staff trying to walk back almost every statement he says. They came to the conclusion, according to his sister and his wife, that he has to be more Biden. Let Biden be Biden. How scary is that? And then he goes and packs a bag and goes to the beach in Delaware. This guy spent over three decades trying to get to the White House. Now with he's in the White House, he can't get far enough away as soon as he is able to. What's going on here? He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We're going to take some common sense steps that do not compromise Second Amendment rights. We are likely going to pair it with some significant mental health spending, which will make a difference as well. And I think everything Senator Cornyn has said is consistent with the negotiations we're having. Listen, we're not going to do everything I want. We are not going to put a piece of legislation on the table that's going to ban assault weapons, or uh, we're not going to pass comprehensive background checks. But right now, people in this country want us to make progress. They just don't want the status quo to continue for another 30 years. Uh, That is uh, Senator Chris Murphy, remarkably uh, apolitical about this whole process, asking the president not to take part, knowing that last Thursday's speech, as well as it was delivered for the president, the best he's ever given, uh, it doesn't. It's not helpful. It just further uh, puts those lines, boldens those lines between the parties. With me right now is Brett Baer. Uh, Brett's got a lot of stuff going on. I mean, one of which is you got to get ready for a debate on Monday night on Fox Nation between Lindsey Graham and Senator Sanders. And I want to talk about that uh, in a second. But first thing first, are you surprised? What are you hearing about these Cornyn uh, Murphy talks? Hey, Brian, I, I'm hearing that uh, they are progressing. And, and to Senator Murphy's uh, point, it's it's basically a framework that's far less than what everybody wants, but it's what Republicans and Democrats are agreeing on, which is a rare thing in, in D.C. Now, as far as time frame, I'm told the end of this week for a framework, but probably not a vote uh, this week. So, you know, it's going to be slow making of the sausage here. And when you see something come out of the Senate that's going to be so dramatically different from what we're getting from the House, does that mean it's dead on arrival in the House? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that there's this sense that something has to get done, and thereby even the progressives who want much more uh, may vote for it. But, you know, with Republicans siding on whatever number that is, um, you would be able to get the uh, numbers that you need in 218. Uh, So far, uh, CBS did a study. 81% of the country, according to them, wants background checks. 72% want federal uh, red flag laws. And 62% want to ban AR-15s after the horrific Uvalde uh, shooting over the weekend. uh, Shootings in Philadelphia, three dead. Chattanooga, three dead. South Carolina, one dead. Uh, Phoenix got a big shooting. West Texas had five heard. Macon, Georgia. uh, Mesa, Arizona. So there's a shooting seem to be up in this country and the pandemic hasn't helped in terms of diffusing 
any type of uh, anxiety Americans feel. And I don't know if the, what, what, uh, what kind of job that's doing on America's youth. Yeah, I mean, we have a major problem. Uh, now, w- what the solution is, I don't think that there is one one size fits all on this. I mean, each kind of shooting is different. Uh, what we saw in Philadelphia uh, is a lot different than what we're seeing in some of these shootings at schools. You know, they're different animals. But I think that uh, for the most part, we have one thing is clear. I mean, there's a mental health component to this that is significant. And um, and you can go down the guns road, but but mental health and families and kids is a big deal. It is. I just want you to hear. So for people listening to us right now and go, okay, we hear about gun that's going to be taking away your guns and American people are going to go take this out on American gun owners who are lawfully doing what they're supposed to do. Senator Pat Toomey has been working with Joe Manchin for years to get something done. This is what he said on Face the Nation yesterday. Cut seven. There are intensive discussions underway. It includes people who have not been engaged on this issue in the past. Certainly can't guarantee any outcome, but it feels to me like we are closer than we've been since I've been in the Senate. And he went on to say they are more, more aligned with Republican values. So when we look at this election, another story, if you look over the weekend, in L.A. Times, a friendly outlet, seems to be turning on President Biden. Uh, they write, here's an excerpt. Uh, he, he ran on competence and experience and is struggling to manage multiple crises. The White House has been working to rebuild its credibility for nearly a year ever since Afghanistan, but a relentless pandemic, the influx of migrants on the southern border and the president's staff stalled legislative agenda have served to further calcify the public's negative perceptions of him. And he's frustrated, according to Politico, that his approval are below Trump's. And the goal is to get him out more. Uh, Bring us inside the story in the White House. We've been fascinated to see CNN, The Washington Post. And NBC all have similar stories? Yeah, I think that that's what's coming out of the White House on the inside, anonymously, obviously. Um, There's frustration. There's worry. There's uh, ineptitude. I mean, it's a big mix of a mess that they can't get their head around. Um, And it's hard to see how they turn it around before November Obviously, a lot of things can happen between now and then. Um, but when you start seeing these stories and you start seeing more and more traditionally friendly outlets uh, being very, very skeptical and critical, um, you know something's wrong. I mean, these approval ratings continue to drop. They're not, they're not changing. Uh, so something has to change, whether it's staff or whatever. What's interesting, too, is, uh, you know, our kids are older now. Uh, Brett, but we know what it's like, baby formula. Can you imagine running out, how you'd have to scramble? It doesn't matter how much money you have, who you know, you can't get it. It's not being made. So the question is, how did this happen? There's talk now the FDA is going to be investigated because they would shut this down, knew uh, true well. This could be a, a catastrophe for the country, didn't seem to care. president never had an FDA director until recently. That's probably not a good thing. And what about the Commerce Secretary? She was asked by Jake Tapper over the weekend about this baby formula thing that could have been known in December, was shut, this plant was shut down in February, and the president said, I can't be a mind reader when he was asked about it in May. Listen to the Commerce Secretary, cut 23. President Biden this week said he didn't learn about the severity of the infant formula shortage until April, but problems first emerged back at the Abbott plant back in October of 2021. An industry executive said they knew how bad this could get when the plant closed 
in February. You're the Secretary of Commerce. When did you first learn of this problem? Uh, I first learned about it, you know, uh, a couple of months ago. So this is, uh, this is, so a, this is a difficult issue. But uh, yes, probably April. Make you feel better about the administration? Yeah, I mean, it's really amazing if you think about it. It's, hold, hold on one second. Getting the uh, kids at school here. Sorry about no, that. No, listen, I've been there. And I've been doing um, radio interviews. I've, I do the radio interviews, too, sometimes on the train. And then people yeah, are handing yeah. you tickets, so I totally get it. But, but have, uh, I'd rather no, have listen, Brett as a that, parent than Brett had <laughs> not had at all. So Brett is a parent and anchor. Go ahead, Brett. <laughs> yeah, both boys say hello. Uh, Paul and Dan. Back at you. Two great kids. Um, listen, so I think that the administration – is behind the eight ball on this. Nobody wants to answer wants to answer the question. One, when they knew, and two, the president. Breaking up just a little bit. He usually pops right back right around now. Yeah, it might be gone. Uh, yeah, Brett, I lost you a little bit. Just want to repeat what you just said. Yeah, Brad, we're going to reconnect in in just a second. So Gina Raimondo comes out and says this. This is what what else she said following up that conversation, cut 23. We will get inflation under control. We just have to stick with it and see it through. You know, I think it's worth noting that gas prices are up a dollar forty a gallon since Putin moved troops Ugh. troops into uh, Ukraine. The reality is um, the cause of this inflation is the supply chain problems that were caused by COVID. So the problem is the Putin price hike and then the supply chain problems. What are you doing to both? We both have been out there. We're up. Gas is now between eight and nine dollars, and we're getting set for ten dollars a gallon gas. This is a disaster for any administration. I don't care if it was George Washington, who, by the way, never had gas issues during his administration, but I'm still researching. Uh, real quick, uh, Brett, I know you're up against it, but um, we just were playing Gina Raimondo when asked about this whole problem with gas prices and inflation. She's the Putin price hike and supply chain. Is that people going to buy that? Is that going to work out? No. Listen, I, what I was saying before is that no one wants to answer at the White House when the president found out exactly and who told him about the baby formula. Now, when you talk about gas prices, you know, they're, they're keep going back to Putin price hike. Well, we're way past that now. We're way past that because a lot of this movement was happening well before that. And uh, I don't know if the, if the communication team just thinks that if you keep on hitting it, that suddenly it's going to strike a chord. Uh, There's no evidence in any poll that that is true. Lastly, this is kind of new news. Uh, within the last hour, we're supposed to have this uh, Conference of the Americas, this American Summit on U.S. soil, first time since the 90s, going to be in Miami. Uh, Mexico has just backed out. And the reason they're giving, Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua aren't allowed. And uh, this being this, it's a convention of democracies, I'm pretty sure that's not a stretch to think they wouldn't be invited. But this is not doing your diplomatic work before the announcement. Is this a big deal? It is a big deal, actually, because – so 
So Mexico is standing with Cuba, and obviously Mexico's leader is a leftist kind of leader. There are more and more leftists being elected in Latin America, um, and the administration kind of dropped the ball in setting the table for all of this. It's in L.A., uh, the summit of the Americas, and the hope was that you get all of these countries to agree on some things, you know, together, even though they have come from different ideologies. And the fact that you're not going to you're going to kind of have half a loaf when it talk, when you're talking about Latin America yeah. is not as powerful. Tell me about this debate that's taking place. Yeah, a week from today in Boston between uh, Senator Bernie Sanders and Lindsey Graham, I'll be moderating. It's kind of old school debate um, where. The senators will have opening statements. We'll talk about their perspective on things, the economy, domestic policy, and then they'll sit down and we'll go back and forth and I'll grill them with questions. It's an effort, a bipartisan effort by this, a number of different groups uh, to kind of bring back the way the Senate used to work to try to come to come some compromise between even the most uh, split ideologically. Uh, senators. So we'll see if uh, what happens. It's the first of three in the series. Boston, Massachusetts, Edward uh, Kennedy Institute, the Orrin Hatch Foundation, and the Bipartisan Policy Center will be on Fox Nation. Uh, it'll air at uh, 12 p.m. It'll, uh, it'll be streaming live at 12 p.m. on Monday the 13th. Hey, Brett, not that you need something else to do. That's got to be a lot of preparation. Good job. I know you do great. All right. We'll see you, man. See you night six. is three hours in radio you're with brian kilmeade hey welcome back everybody thanks so much for being here i'm going to be on outnumbered at the top of the hour so watch fox news channel i know you're watching fox nation now and you see me holding up these sheets it means there's time to see if uh, there is more to know more to know all right several players in the tampa bay rays from the organization are not happy about pride night They say because religious reasons, most players were wearing rainbow logos on their caps and sleeves. But the Tampa Times noted that Jason Adams, Jalen Beeks, Brooks Raley, Jeffrey Springs, Ryan Thompson, among those who did not wear them, quote, a lot of it has to come down to faith. It's like a face-based decision. So it's a hard decision because ultimately all said that what we want is them to know that all are welcome and loved here. But when it comes to our bodies, I think a lot of you guys decide that it's just a lifestyle that maybe... Not that they look down on anybody differently. It's just that maybe we don't want to encourage it. All right, next. Let's talk space. Let's talk Blue Origin. Let's talk uh, Jeff Bezos. The company's uh, suborbital joyride lasts about 10 minutes. Lift off to touchdown. It hits an altitude of 350,000 feet. Well, we know this. He's in a bit of a fight with Elon Musk. It forms part of an ongoing space effort by a handful of uh, companies, including Musk and Richard Branson. Blue Origin completed its fifth crewed flight over the weekend and also supported Saturday's latest series of ambitious rocket-powered exhibitions. What's wrong with that? They pay tax dollars. It helps the economy, right? People do not realize how many innovations, scientific and what we use in everyday life, comes from space exploration. They bankrolled, was bankrolled by private investment capital and wealthy passengers. Good job. Next, in sports, I thought it would be a, a win for the Warriors in Game 2, and it was. They topped the Celtics 107-88. to 88. Evidently, it was a big third quarter for uh, Golden State, who had to win out in the West Coast. Steph Curry, 29 points. Jared Poole connected for just inside of midcourt to cap the pivotal period. 
and the Warriors beat the uh, Boston Celtics. Uh, game three will be Wednesday in Boston. We're tied at one game apiece. Next, Rafael Nadell wins his French Open for the 14th time. He has an all-time record, 22 Grand Slams. Good job. Next, in soccer, Ukraine's dreams of going to the World Cup, which would have played them in, put them in the U.S. division. So I'm not thrilled about that. Uh, they lost to Wales one nothing. Uh, so they will not be going to Qatar. The game was at Cardiff City Stadium. was the final game to decide the remaining European slot. The winning goal for Wales, an own goal by Ukraine winger Andrei Yelomenko, who headed a free kick from Gareth Bale into the net by mistake. Oh, Ouch. that's the worst possible way you can uh, lose a game. No more Elvis-themed weddings in Las Vegas chapels. Licensing company is clamping down. No idea why. The Clark County uh, clerk, Lynn Goya, who led a marketing campaign promoting Vegas as a wedding destination, said the order for chapels to stop using Elvis couldn't have come at a worse time. Sorry about that. Focus on the Raiders. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's a huge thing. You've, I mean, I don't know. Have you been to Vegas? Uh, been a while. But you remember, I mean, you're always seeing Elvis impersonators on the streets constantly taking photographs. It's a it's huge like, tourist But it's attractive. like a wax museum. I don't get what wax museums are for. You know, I don't get wax museums make no sense to me and Elvis weddings make no sense. This makes your wedding come off like a joke, right? Hi, I'm I'm comically marrying you. With but it, a draw, fake it draws guy a lot of money, with though. With a fat, fake Elvis. Fat Elvis. Most of them are fat Elvises. <laughs> Next. Children playing team sports less likely to suffer mental health problems, but less kids are playing team sports. Conversely, researchers found that youngsters who only play individual sports, such as tennis, golf, or gymnastics, are at greater risk of mental health issues than kids who play don't play sports at all. The findings come from a major study of more than 11,200 kids 9 to 13. I'm surprised to see that most kids quit sports by 13. In line with the researchers' expectations, the analysts showed that children involved in team sports were less likely to have signs of anxiety, depression, withdrawal, social problems, or attention problems. It's a mini way to go through the academy of life. That's what I love about it. Next, too much self-confidence can be harmful to your health. That's my problem. I think I walk on water. Scientists from the University of Vienna report that older people who are overconfident about their own health don't go to the doctor, like the President of the United States. That could, former President, this could be detrimental to their health long term. Conversely, the study also found the opposite holds true. People who are pessimistic about their own health tend to be the doctor more often. So you can manifest an illness, no question. Would you like one of us to bring you down a peg every show? For my, or at least for once my a own, week? For my own physical health. Yeah, because we right. want to make sure that you're around for a number of years mm-hmm. longer. The other day, if you want to stump Eric, I go up to Eric. I go, Eric, answer me honestly. Name something I do wrong. He, he said, I need more time. And I said, okay, I'll give you more time. So I'm going to ask him after the show today. That'll be, I, I all, you know, that'll be our, show, our daily show wrap-up, what you did wrong to bring you down a pet. Right. And I just said, I, sometimes if, you, if I want to quiet the staff down, and it goes about 60, 70 people, I'll just say, guys, one at a time, tell me everything I did wrong. Total silence. Um, and I think you should use that in your life. Next, 8 in 10 delivery workers admit to eating a customer's food. This is according to a poll by 500 delivery drivers. So they're actually out of themselves. They're commissioned by the circuit root planner. Stealing a person's fries or putting their sticky fingers on someone's chicken may not even be the most disgusting thing. One in four drivers confess they've hooked up with someone in their vehicle. Oh. <laughs> one in 10. I'm not going to say what one in 10 did. Just, you know what? Pick up your food. If you have a car, no more Uber Eats. Get in the car and get your food. During the pandemic, my daughter, Caitlin, nonstop Uber Eats.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.